We are glad to have the Sparkle Twins back as sponsors for Season 3. Sharice and Sharicia Williams are identical twin sopranos from Brooklyn, New York. Their business offers mouth masks to protect you from unwanted germs and conversations, with cute phrases like, yes, I am an opera singer, and no, I will not sing for you. Check out their shop at www.sopranotwins.com shop. Welcome to My So-Called Opera Light, a podcast for opera singers by opera singers, where we work to connect, inform, empower, and inspire musicians at all levels and stages of their career. Each episode, we'll explore a piece of the never-ending puzzle of the so-called opera life, humble brags and therapeutic complaints, as well as practical information about how this business works, each piece helping you on your journey towards success, which we believe should really mean happiness. I'm Marcel. And I'm Elise. And we're two sopranos trying to live our best so-called opera lives. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the podcast. I have to tell you how energized I feel after this conversation with two amazing directors, with Brandon McShafferty and Rose Freeman. I've had the incredible pleasure of working with Rose on some new opera projects, and we've got some possible collaborations in the work ourselves. And the environment that Rose creates in the rehearsal room has been just like one of the most incredible artistic experiences of my life. And so I was really, really interested to have Rose and Brandon on the podcast to talk with us about their take on opera directing and acting for singers. Right, right. I I love their perspective to confront opera for exactly what it is and on the paper and off the paper and just like there's like leave tradition behind just just use the words you know and that approach is we talk about like how it's we need it more and it's empowering and it's it's exciting and I love what Brandon said about like I love asking people like why opera like I I love hearing Mm -hmm. people's answers and I loved his answer of like it was just as big as I am. <laughs> right. And if you are any kind of a person with big feelings, I so resonated when he said it was like um, my, my whole body was like, yes. I was like, yeah, that's like how I want to describe, like how you just said it. Like a lot of times I say it more like, oh, it's just like the fullest expression of like, of, of just life. And I just want to say it like him now and just be like... <laughs> It's just as big as me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. When you're a person with big feelings, you need a big container. And what better container than opera? So, this conversation was just so much fun. Our cheeks hurt from smiling so much yeah. during this conversation. We had such a ball. We really hope that you enjoy and get as much out of this incredible interview as we did. Yes. Enjoy. And thank you to Brandon and Rose for coming on. Thank you guys for being here. Yes. Thank you for having us. Yes, I've wanted to have Rose on the podcast for so long, ever since I worked with you, what was that, 2019? Yeah, we've had a little art crush on each other. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but before we jump into all of that, would you two like to introduce yourselves and give us give our audience a little bit of a feel for who you are and what you do before we jump into our topic for today? Sure. I'm Rose Freeman. Zizir are my pronouns. 
and I am a staging director for lots of different uh, live theater formats, uh, but primarily opera. Oh, I am Brandon McShaffrey, he, him, they pronouns, and I'm the resident stage director at Temple University. I am a director choreographer with a background in dance and found opera via theater very late in life. And I also am the producing director of Philadelphia's Mockingbird Theater Company, the professional LGBTQ theater company in town. And I make art. Yay. Usually really honest, nasty art, but I on the other hand just make frou frou crap. You know, it's just <laughs> that <laughs> statement is wrought with irony as I see. <laughs> so wrought with irony. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I mean, I think the first thing I want to ask you about, so Rose and Brandon, for the students at Temple, have hosted a couple of panels this past semester with opera singers working at the level that Elise and I are at. So kind of, you know, mid range, which is where most of us are at doing the freelance life. And when you invited us to come or invited me to come on, Brandon, you said something really cool that I, I really want to kind of learn a little bit more about. Mm -hmm. You talked about how you strive at the Temple Opera, opera Theater to instill an ethical aspiration to become true citizen artists. I would <laughs> love to hear more about this. That's a ideological statement that I actually stole from my mentor, Doug Wager, who was the artistic director of the arena stage for many years down in DC. And when I was in grad school, he brought that to the theater, the theater department here at Temple. And I was like, wow, I'm going to take this for the rest of my life. Because as we have this ethical aspiration to become citizen art artists, what I mean by that is we seek to train like highly trained, creative and deeply informed individuals who are committed to not only making a difference in the future of our human community through applied artistry, but also really good citizens who support and promote the use of artistic expression as a tool for creating and sustaining a culture of not only enlightened, but compassionate citizens and civility just it's about really engaging in the person first mm. and allowing the art to come from that mm. and when i first started in working in the opera department back in 2012 it was something that i saw was lacking here was the heart and commitment to good citizenship as as a department in opera but then as I learned more about opera, I saw that it was really lacking <laughs> in the industry as a whole. Mm -hmm. The industry tends to look at the tools of technique and trade as the most important things. And I'm pleased for anyone who's like, no, technique comes first. I, I always assume that. But there's so much behind that. And there's so much person that goes into that, that I want to make a world of opera where there's room for every soprano. And there's, I call it the Renna rule, because there was a student, Nicole Renna, who- I know Nicole. She came in and she was like, the sopranos were so mean to me day one. Why do we need that? And I was like, right? Let's, let's stop that here. I, I just really believe that we should be better people to make mm -hmm. better art. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then I met Rose. <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny. One of the, the way I, so I went to Temple for my graduate degree and it was to study with Brandon McShaffrey because he was doing that. He was creating ethical, holistic artists that were empowered. 
uh, as performers and as arts creators, not just kind of robots that could sing or like people that were living in this kind of terror of, of making mistakes. They were actually making choices. And when I was, I was doing a lot of storefront opera in Chicago, which is basically like opera for very intimate venues, kind of chamber opera. And it, it follows the Chicago storefront model of theater, applies it to opera. I was finding that the singers I was hiring had advanced degrees and were terrified to make choices. You know, they were sitting there with their master's degrees and sometimes their doctorates. And they were like, tell me what to do, Rose. And I was like, I got a bachelor's degree and two sticks to rub together. What are you talking about? Like, come on. And I found that my real job out of self-defense was just creating empowered artists. And I was like, I got to go figure out how to do this in academia because we can't, we can't live like this. And, and too many directors and teachers, whether they were knowing it or not, were benefiting financially from the disempowered artist, from the disempowered mm -hmm. performer. And, you know, the reality of it is the work that we make as theater artists, whether you are doing opera or burlesque or a straight play or a musical or a rap concert, whatever we're doing, we are creating spiritual communal events. And we are in front of people telling stories and getting their story reflected back on us. And if you know, I was just talking to a singer out of Sarasota, Hannah Brammer, where she was like, if you don't have your shit right, you can't do what we are paid to do. You can't do your job. And if you're not spiritually right, it's really hard to be a performer or an arts creator. And there was, you know, that's the citizen artist, right? You have to be right. You have to, or at least be working towards what is right within your own soul or body or whatever you believe it is. And that's Brandon's mission, right? And that's what's happening at the temple opera program now and and that's why i went there to to study that and and expand that theory further and to be transparent i am not holistic and well balanced these are all like goals <laughs> and oh, yeah. it comes from a place <laughs> of deep trauma that i experienced in observe in conservatory and musical theater where we literally had weigh-ins Mm. and like had our weight announced and posted on the wall oh. on our first days of ballet class. So I was like, so I understand. <laughs> it, I don't come from that holistic, welcoming theater community. I came from a, like a, a dance background with cigarette burns on my legs. And, right. and yeah. there's so much to do that the rules that are put on top of our art form that have been arbitrarily placed there by who knows where. Like, I'd like to find out who put the conservative in conservatory and like <laughs> made all of these rules because all we wanna do is tell stories and, and move the audience. And so often talking to opera makers, they never talk about the audience. And I was mm -hmm. like, there's people that are there to take this story in and not just listen to the notes. And I think we're now the new generation coming up the, the I'm a little older than all of you, I think, but like we're going back to that. It is a visual art form and that audience are there to be moved. And you, you have to have your eyes open for that. And mm -hmm. we have to give them something to see. Right. So well, and there's so much obsession with the tradition, right? Like people, you know, 
I have a Catholic background, so I'll hit that, right? Like people are like, well, yeah, you've got to pull the piece of bread and crack it above the head just right. And you're saying up, down, up, down. But nobody knows like why you're doing that, right? And I think opera has a lot of that symptom, right? Of like, well, you got to go up, down, up, down, and then your hand goes across here and then you crack the bread. But nobody knows like why that tradition's there. And it might be for a very dumb reason. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. if you if you think as a as an innovative theater creator, it becomes really clear. You're like, well, people are like, well, Rose, why did they cross down left like that? Well, there was only one light available to hit that spot. So they had right. to, you know, it's. Yeah. Well, and when I <laughs> no started directing opera scenes, I was literally watching like a graduate program. I was teaching undergrads and they were watching videos and copying the blocking. Jesus. And I was like, what is happening? And I. <laughs> Like the revolutionary act of asking an actor, a singing actor, I was like, what does your character want? And they were like, I yeah. don't know. Or like, what are you saying? And they were like, well, the the, 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 the translation says, I'm like, oh, they don't know what they're saying. And all of a sudden, all my work, my text analysis work in, in grad school on Shakespeare and like Moliere, I was like, well, let's look at the words. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it was, it seemed like a revolutionary act at the time. And I was like, what? that's all the time in opera. You know, I'll work with, with straight play directors and they'll be like, you're just doing verbing. And I'll be like, well, yeah, because that's what's needed to happen. And they like to, you know, sometimes I'll get that kind of poo poo, like, oh, we're making real work. We're innovating the form. Like, well, no, because you know what? They're also singing and like tapping their head and patting their bellies. Like they're also doing 8 million other things. And it's just been a little lost. We're just bringing it back to center while still demanding that they do 8 million other incredibly, what does my friend Caroline call it? Olympic feats with an inch of space. You know, it's it's like, let's just get off their dicks for like two seconds. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I, love, I love it. Can I, can I just for anyone in our audience who doesn't know what you mean by this, can you tell us what verbing is? Oh, sure. It's, it's so simple. Everyone's going to be real annoyed. So you look at what your character is trying to do in this scene, and then you break it out in little chunks, and then you apply an action verb to how your character is doing it. It's kind of like listing your tactics on how you are accomplishing your goal, but, you know, a little bit more specific. Teacher moment. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm such a teacher. I I literally have my, like, actor prepares Stanislavski behind me. Yes. (laughs) Like, Stanislavski-style acting came to us. And everyone started calling it method. Like they thought that that method was like, okay, run a mile, sweat, smell, stay up all night and feel your feelings and regurgitate that in front of an audience. But like method in the Russian really means like what way, what action? Like it's really all about finding that verb in the action. What do you do? What do you want? And what do you do to get what you want? Right. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just about connecting your gesture to yourself, right? Like Del Sartre had the same, Francois Del Sartre had the exact same goal. Like, can we just have connected gesture where people aren't blindly doing the traditions, but instead mm-hmm. like having that come from a goal? It's all the same. It's it's all the same banana pudding, you know? Right. Totally. Right. Totally. Yeah. And so when I, but when I started working with singers, like I'm such coming from a dance and choreographic background, I'm such a body person, like your body telegraphs everything. And if you're feeling insecure and self-conscious, that's all I can see. I don't see character. I see your insecurities and your insecurities bore me. I want to see like action. And so 
I started working with like human impulse and trying to tie that in and working with like different movement style acting techniques because singers have enough going on in their head. They don't have room to think about an action and a, a verb. It's like, okay, you're thinking about your language, your placement, your technique, everything. And that extra space is taken up. So I try to train singers to rely on their physical impulse to inform the character. Your body will tell us what they need. And if the audience can't see it in your body, is it happening? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the audience can't see it. It's This is a really crude one, but it comes from David Cromer. I was uh, assisting him on a production in like, undergrad like years and years ago and he goes all y'all are just prostitutes it doesn't matter if you come they come and then like walked we're away. all hookers selling oh, ourselves for something but at the same time i was like yes david Cromer, thank you <laughs> oh rose oh, I, and also rose and i are heart, both hard of hearing so like the volume and like physical feet of opera is just kind of lost on us. Yeah, we're like, cool. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I read lips. Like little, we're just dense enough to, to not worry about it. I love it. Well, that was one of my questions actually is why, you know, you guys like directing opera. What draws you to this particular art form? I hear some some things already, I feel like. I've done a lot of storytelling in my life and I used to also run a clothing store for 10 years and my husband is a director and was the director in the house and I was the businessman and my first midlife crisis I looked back and I was like I'm really unhappy opening these stores and I was like when was the last time I was happy it was when I was 10 years old telling stories in my backyard that's when I was like living my joy but and I've been a, a, a movement director, a dance choreographer, a director. Like in grad school, I was forbidden to do musicals. I've done a ton of musicals. And like, I came to opera in my mid thirties and was like, holy shit, this is a art form that's as big and extra as I am. This feels on the scale of what I feel as a human. It's not just like the scale of like, the 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 theater itself but the characters live in the drama that i live in it didn't feel unrealistic to me it felt like finally my size and style was a right fit i love that kitchen sink plays i there ain't room for me in a kitchen (laughs) (laughs) i love that i love that so true. I mean, and I'm also a nerd, like a dramaturgy nerd. I love looking up the details of words and specifics and like the etymology of certain words and where things come from. Mm-hmm. Because I think in those specificities, I find the story reveals itself. But and there's so much room in opera. Like, there's just so much room to like dig in and explore. And it, it's just become a playground for me. It's like, yeah. Yeah, I feel like I discovered it. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. I always say uh, that I want to, I watch opera like a five-year-old child and direct it like a dyke fighting patriarchy and white supremacy from the inside out. Yes. But the reason why I watch it like I'm five is because when I was five, my mother had this idea that she was going to raise a strong, cultured feminist and took me to the opera and knew that a five-year-old would get bored. So she made sure I had front row seats 
and I watched the opera curled up in my mom's coat. And when the curtain went down, if we were good, we got a chocolate. And what what state did you grow up in? In Wisconsin. So we, and I grew up in Appleton, Wisconsin, both birthplace of Joseph McCarthy. I'm still alive. You're welcome. So we would drive down to the opera house. We'd like pack a little picnic. It was like the family trip. And we'd drive down to Milwaukee to the Florentine Opera House. And of course we were the bells of the ball because like we're these adorable little kids. It was my brother and I, like, you know, my pantyhose are too big. They're falling down, right? I'm just like sticking them up. And you know, you'd go and you'd sit and you'd wave and distract all the musicians and giggle because Maestro farted and, you know, watch uh, Torendo, right? And it would explode in front of you. And, and you know, I, I was really, I'm very dyslexic. I have a pretty strong learning disability. And I learned how to read the first time well, reading super titles because I wanted mom mm. stopped telling me what was going on but for the most part I didn't need to know what was being said because you could just see it you could hear the music you could feel it you understood that whatever was happening was happening and and that really stuck with me and you know when I was in high school I really wanted to become a nun I really you know I grew up also with the nuns uh, my godmother was the mother superior of the Wheaton Franciscans and my poor mm. mom was You're Franciscan too? Yeah. I wanted to become a priest when I was 14, a Franciscan. Franciscans are the best. They are. No, she no shade to the other orders. I'm I'm a I'm a Jesuit over here. So. All right, Ignatian right. spirituality all the way. But uh, yeah, like I wanted to be a nun. Wow. I wanted to be a nun, and the bishop was like, "You're very much so a very open lesbian. We want you nowhere near here." And I was like, "Fine, I'm going to go be a Unitarian." Much to my mother's delight, she was a Unitarian. Yeah, I became a Unitarian and went into theater, and I I kept telling my professor, Sheldon Patinkin, me, he rest in power. I was like, I want to do opera. Let me do an opera. And he was like, maybe you walk before you swim or run, my child. And like, wouldn't let me touch him. <laughs> oh, uh, I think I found opera at the right time. Yeah, like I, I had already did. had my, I was, I can't imagine five-year-old Brandon at an opera. That would have been. Oh, know. five-year-old no. Rosie was really into it. She was just like. What a I mean, I'm sure the musicians would have liked us to have not been exactly in the front row, but we were pretty. It was good for them. It was good for them. <laughs> <laughs> Maestro would glare a lot. It's really like, hey, what's going on? <laughs> what's that stick you're holding? <laughs> That's... Can, I Can I wave great. it too? <laughs> I didn't see my memory. first opera until I, like, the year before I start. No, after I started teaching like opera singers. That makes sense. <laughs> I think it was Deflator Mouse. Hopefully, you gotta well. love a bat. <laughs> I think it was Elise. I think it was. Oh God! <laughs> I would argue because, like, I'm not like I'm not a singer in any way. I spent most of my education working in other theatrical art forms than opera because no one would let me touch it because I was like just this wily teenager that would go poke maestro. But I think us being in a weird way, outsiders of the traditions is our greatest asset, right? Because, you know, there's, there's so many singers who somehow end up directors and don't have any directing training. And Mm. really what's happening there is they're just regurgitating whatever they learn from other directors. So it's like, it's bad after bad. Um, Some of them are good. I don't want to. Well, it's also just repeating the cycle. We're trying to stop. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, and it's, it's discounting of our craft. Like, it's actually really insulting that there are so many, like, I went to school for this twice. It's like, I have spent 20 years of my life making opera. Mm -hmm. 
you know, that's, that's what I've been doing or making theater. I've been learning how to be a director. Right. And that's a craft that has been carefully honed and developed and practiced and ruined and, you know, made mistakes with and, and Mm -hmm. whatever that is, but it's, 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 it's an art form all in itself and it deserves that respect. Yeah. I, 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 Definitely would not be able to do that. <laughs> I'm over there singing and listening <laughs> to the director. <laughs> yeah, and I, I mean, if your readers look up, I have no career. My career is academia now. Like when I found opera, I was it was everyone's Rose is going to argue with me, but I started too late. I was born too soon, and I started too late. Like oh, I'm not going to argue like, the podcast right now. It was really, by the time I found opera was it for me, I was past the age of young artist programs. I was past the cutoffs. There was no way for me to really, except in the institution that I worked, to really dig into opera. Like no one was going to hire a first time opera, you know, like lover at, who's it, 40. You know, it's like, okay. But I also love, love teaching. Like yeah. it is what is most fulfilling to me is not getting my production of XYZ up, but like investing in young artists like Rose and other undergraduate directors coming through that I get to take to their first opera or mm-hmm. their first opera is assisting me. Mm-hmm. And I give them like directing assignments where I'm like, okay, go do, go work on this scene in another room. Mm-hmm. And I get to be their first. So yeah i've turned the corner i'm now an educator (laughs) hey but we need we need people like you to be educating yeah one of the questions that i wanted to ask you about is how you work with some of the students at temple especially like in the beginning you were talking about kind of like being a person first and like being compassionate and it almost seems as though maybe in the beginning you're not even talking about opera but just talking about how to connect to your body and i don't know i'm not going to put words in your mouth but what kind of do you work on well rose has taught me the phrase you know if we're radically inclusive and invite all diversity into our workspace that work is easily done Mm. it's revolutionary for some singers especially people coming in from other countries to walk into the space and all you have to bring is yourself the way you do it you know, is, is, is intentional to, to create that kind of environment. This is what I mean by a carefully honed craft. Every piece of environment of a classroom, of a rehearsal room is very carefully thought out by me as a director and by Brandon as an educator and as a director. I am being very deliberate in how I am talking about a piece, how I am talking about my collaborators. I'm not always perfect at it. I am a a regent at putting my foot in my mouth. I do it at least once a day. Your foot fits well in that hole. It does. It tastes so yummy. (laughs) 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 Foot. Especially after you step in shit. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But there is a deliberate use of language or how that room works and you know you have to really you have to go back to yourself a lot it goes back to getting right you know there's parts of my body that I am sometimes happy with and not happy with and I have to be honest with that in the room while also still celebrating the tool that holds 
me upright on most days and carries me through the world and allows me to make work. And like, what is that gratitude? You know, my mother, every time she stands up when she sits on the floor now, she's uh, in her mid sixties, she always goes, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. (laughs) She apologizes to her body for all the damage she's done to it. (laughs) Uh, We could be like, mom, what if you said thank you? And she's like, no, I did this to her. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, don't get me wrong. The classroom isn't one of those theatrical therapy sessions. We're there to work. And with my, I, I believe in therapy. And that's the first thing I say, like grad students come in. I was like, okay, therapy is part of your tuition. Take advantage. Oh, because amazing. I can't like, I'm not there to be your therapist, but if you have emotional, I call it emotional constipation when you're blocked, I love like I can't work that out. You'll just, that'll come out. And then we have to get to work. The, mm-hmm. the character and story comes first. So I think, but by actually talking about therapy and suggesting maybe a yoga class, maybe, maybe Alexander's right for you, like talking about the body, it's just a different, it's so much more inclusive. And it's literally just having a big enough mouth to talk about it mm-hmm. and not being scared. Mm-hmm. Right. Because mm-hmm. we tiptoe around shit, but we step in it. Right. Yeah. Right. And there's just no need, right? Like we're all humans and we all have stuff, you know, it's, it's, I always find it so interesting whenever somebody has like a panic attack in a rehearsal room or like has some moment, all these people always come out of the woodwork and they're like, I've been struggling with this too. Then why the hell are we not talking about it? Why is everyone keeping quiet for what? Like what you're protecting? What are we protecting? Like, Are we that fragile? No, we are brave, strong humans who go out in front of a whole bunch of people and make a bunch of noise, act like it. Right, right. No, Um, I mean, and and I can speak to the power of that, you know, very well-crafted rehearsal room. I mean, just even, you know, and I I talked about this on the podcast when we were doing the Anna show a little bit of like, that was my first time singing new opera and I felt so much imposter syndrome. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like I felt so much imposter even though like Anna's a small company and Evan is like super welcoming and they're like you know but like and I just remember walking into the rehearsal room for the first rehearsal and like you were Rose was so intentional and I immediately felt at ease and but the power of the space that you created was such that like one of the micro operas we were working on dealt with some really triggering material that was triggering for me in particular because I had experience with it in my past. And I don't think, and like I was struggling with that last opera with Potential Light, like- It was a rough one. Right until like dress rehearsal. And it, I don't think it was until the like rehearsal before that, that I was able to articulate to myself, like, why is this one so hard for me? I feel really stuck and blocked, but because you created this space where I felt safe enough, like asking myself that question and not just beating myself up because I was like not doing, hitting all the marks. I could be like, oh, wait, this is, this is really hard for me because this is bringing up traumatic experiences from my past. And now I can go to my therapist and be like, hey, I need tools to deal with this. Right, mm-hmm. right. Because yep. I have a character to be that's getting really close to some stuff that I've like right. kind of intentionally not dealt with. The point just being that like we can't be willy-nilly and just 
pretend to direct and like i it's partially my appreciation of of what you guys do but also i think can speak to our artists about like you're if we're making real art with ourselves in it it's gonna bring up shit yeah. yeah, and and we need to be working then in spaces that allow us <laughs> to deal with that. Both careful, as in be cautious of what you're bringing up, but also full of care, careful, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. really bringing care into the room so that because yeah. you can't be precious about it, mm -mm. right? If you're telling the story of uh, some kind of trauma, we got to tell the story of the trauma, uh, or just an opera, Any <laughs> trauma opera. Yeah. to music, right. <laughs> right. included. Like it's going to have some trauma in it. We got to right. still tell that story. And it's how are we going to tell that story? And like, right. How are we going to be safe and healthy? About it? Yeah. And it's really important, I think, for singers, especially young singers, but and, and especially talking, going back to that concept of, of like shying away from it and also just like focusing on the singing and nothing else. You know, a lot of spaces will just focus on you messing up your notes and you are just, you don't sound good today. And you just focusing on the music music and the singing when a lot of times it's connected to other things and it's, and it's connected more to, and then you like, it doesn't make it a good, like then you just feel well, no, bad. And then you have singers that are like scared to sound ugly. We're like, I'm sorry, but Baba from the medium shouldn't sound good. She's an alcoholic who beats her child. Like <laughs> she should be scary. <laughs> yeah, but it's. The, where I appreciate the old school though, is that it should never sound efforted. It should sound purposefully like, right. Cause like ballet training it's like effort is ugly and if it looks like it's hard work on the singer then the audience is out of the moment and right. they're like "Ooh, i'm watching a singer struggle right right but it's often i see singers and people hiding behind the music and the technique just because it's easier it's easier to hide and focus it's safe it's safe it's safe in your room with the door closed with the with the blanket on <laughs> Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm sorry, but opera needs to be brave, right? It's, it's uh, when you do activist work, a lot of times I've done a lot of activism, like direct action. And in that direct action, you know, work and community building, we often talk about building brave spaces, not safe mm -hmm. spaces where you can stretch and be challenged and ask the hard questions and figure out every day how to be better citizens. And, you know, this goes back to opera and, and any kind of theater. We are spiritual leaders. We owe it to ourselves and our audiences to be brave. Yeah. Mm -hmm. right. 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 Definitely. Well, I mean, one of the things that came up for me as you were talking about, like the citizen artist you know, that was bring, coming to mind to me was, you know, we talk about the ways that like opera is like still stuck and not really in the struggling to co connect with its communities. And I think in a lot of ways, like if you're looking at it from an activist with an activist lens, right, we look at what opera tries to do whenever it's like, oh, we're going to make art for marginalized communities and we're going to, you know, try to make do things in Spanish for Spanish speaking communities. But it's always doing the art for rather than doing the art with yeah. right it's patronizing and so, it's patronizing it's, and it's colonialist yep yep simple yep. what are some of the like rules of opera that you combat in your work with other singers and in other this might be a better branding question we figured out right at the end of my graduate degree that i don't follow the rules because i don't know them 
I never learned them. I mean, that's the thing too, is like, I didn't grow up assisting people in opera or living behind the table with tradition. So the first full opera I staged was Hansel and Gretel. And I was looking at that opening scene. I was like, what are you saying? And why are they singing a nursery rhyme? What do children do when they do this? Mm. And all of a sudden we had them playing pretend and being a little bit violent because kids are violent. And the, the, the maestro was like, this is fabulous. This is, this is ground. I was like, we're just looking at what we're saying and doing it. So I didn't, I didn't know the traditions to break them. Mm-hmm. The first time I staged a pants roll, I was like, great. So this is a woman who passes for a male presenting person. And I was like, and they were like, no, this is pants. We have to disguise all sense of her actual gender. And I was like, why? We all have a program. So like that, I mean, if we want to be radical about gender, opera has been doing it for centuries. Right. Like mm-hmm. now we just have to do it on purpose and with mm-hmm. purpose, mm-hmm. you know, and which I suspect at certain times in history, they were doing it on purpose. We just kind of took that rug and brushed it. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, like, yeah. there's so much of that, right. With this conservatism, like that happens in this art form and these traditions, which I'm with Brandon, right? Like every time I do something on stage, either I am mucking it up real hard or somebody walks by and they're like, that's revolutionary. And I'm like, how? <laughs> like what but that's what it said in the libretto um <laughs> no one read <laughs> i can barely read what it like? uh, right well now it's it's that when they approach something and they're like oh that piece is problematic and we're approaching i love the i love standard rep i love the canon i love it and i embrace the problems because i don't want to see an opera where everyone is okay and just having a great a great day <laughs> like that right. is the most boring opera even if it's a comedy i want it i want like i want <laughs> i want will and grace sized farce i want right. yes. doors slamming people falling genders right. revealed and like i want madcap comedy you I'm, can't I'm really so hard because like what's an opera where everyone's having a nice day hey, <laughs> what'd you do today oh i woke up and had a coffee okay I'm gonna played it. some pokemon go walked down to the park <gasps> end of scene one it's the most boring <laughs> opera ever like yeah yeah i think we can still approach standard rep with intention and addressing the problematic characters openly and yeah. dis- by discussing their flaws, there's good drama in there. I mean, of course, there's misogyny and racism. That's that's what we've inherited. Let's talk about it. Right. Let's bring it up. Let's not ignore right. it. I always love like talking about like the why opera question with guests and with other people, friends and everybody, like because in my brain, like in my own brain, I all the opera I see, I like take all those problems. I like interpret them. I like, I'm like, this is why it's like this. And this is what it's saying. And it's not ever just like, oh, you know, but that I don't not like, you know, share, I'm sharing that with my friends. or Maybe I'm sharing that with the director if I'm in the show. But like, sometimes it doesn't, a lot of times in opera when it doesn't come across at all. And it just seems like, like I saw one staging of uh, La Boheme where Marcello hits. Uh. It's Musetta, Musetta, and I'm like, and then obviously, and, and 
And there was no reconciliation of that whole thing. And I was like, are we just like saying that that's fine? And yeah, like, you're <laughs> perpetuating. Like, and, and that's part of the problem, right? Well, because like one of the things about opera that's so awesome is that it has always been a subversive act to rich people, right? Like it's always been like, here, rich people, here's this cool thing we made. We're secretly talking about some sneaky stuff. Like La Boheme, if you have an understanding of what marriage was at the time that it was written and how love was looked at, it's actually kind of a revolutionary story. Mm-hmm. And it's telling the story of like how artists were actually making the work that all the wealthy people were consuming, right? There is subversion in that. So our job as creators, in my opinion, is to take that standard rep and use it as a tool of subversion. It's going to be way easier for me to challenge white supremacy in a Wagnerian opera and actually have that heard by white supremacists than it's going to be in lots of other art forms. And I say this as somebody who's, you know, my my ex-wife is a very revolutionary, wonderful Black activist and burlesque dancer and just like a really phenomenal artist. And she was like, Rose, why are you in this art form? It's just Western supremacy, like getting pushed forward. I'm like, yes, because that's where I can fight. That's where I can actually do something that's interesting, Mm -hmm. subvert these expectations and slowly chip away at something that continuously is building up. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, this Mm -hmm. is like my, this is my current soapbox currently of just like no more preservationist opera because preservationist opera is what's problematic. Well, we're preserving something that's not real. Like we don't actually know what it looked like. We're just making shit up. Right. Right. But also like, Don Giovanni isn't supposed to be a sexy, nice guy. <laughs> like, right. Like he's he's a problematic character, and the point of the opera is to talk about how problematic he is, and like, and then no burn one... him in hell. Hell, <laughs> like, <laughs> like yeah. really, if you're if you're a really problematic guy who's got a rapey tendency, you want Donny G to be like a nice, sexy guy. You are invested in that storyline. Right, right, right. So right. eroding that away, or maybe not letting the rapey guy direct. Mm, that. Oh, I said it. I said it. <laughs> yeah. We've all been saying yeah. it. <laughs> right. But, but right. We, 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 we can't stop saying it because no, no. it's when we stop saying things that they sneaks right back in. That pimple comes up again. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. I love that. I love, I love like talking about this with you guys. But I don't think like it should stop being produced. No, I think I think you're I'm I'm with you that like there's still value in making that art, but we can't sweep the stuff under the rug. Like we have I'm, to be talking about the discomfort in these pieces of art. Mm-hmm. Right. And we're giving the audience catharsis by telling mm-hmm. them that story, by relieving mm-hmm. the tension, the existential crisis that of that exists within them releasing that when we're talking greek drama there you know right. in the production where medea doesn't kill her children you don't get to like relief <laughs> the stress you feel when you want to kill your children <laughs> right. right and you don't create a space for an audience then to like ask themselves hard questions about themselves right and if you're not that's bad theater yeah it is bad theater and i see a lot of bad theater in opera well, it's, uh, there's that wonderful production of Madame Butterfly that was actually done by actual, like, Japanese directors. Oh, right? down at uh, um, 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 Pop, Pacific yes, Opera Project. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, what a great way to finally talk about Western imperialism and fetishization. Right. Which is what that opera was originally talking about, way ahead of its time. But no, we're scared of that. Like, come on, everybody, be brave or go, right. f- go into marketing. 
You want to tell happy stories? Go into marketing. Right. Yeah. Right. This season, we're sponsored by Conduit Studios. Marcel, how's the technology going for you? Uh, I don't know about you, Elise, but I am stressed out about tech on top of everything else in this fucking pandemic. Agreed. Conduit Studios is a production company that specializes in high-quality video and audio capture for creatives, run by musicians who understand your artistic needs. They offer high-quality, dynamic, multi-camera performance capture, which is perfect for concerts, auditions, live streams, and more. They are in an affordable and accessible way to elevate your digital presence. You can enjoy a low-stress, relaxed environment to record in so you can focus on your art, and they'll take care of the rest. Conduit Studios is based in Southern California, but they service many clients nationwide. Visit conduitstudiosmedia.com for more information or to schedule a session. Hmm. But I love a good happy ending. (laughs) I mean, who doesn't? I mean, the beautiful, you know, happy ending, the ending of Figaro, you know, like beautiful chorus. But y'all know the Count and the Countess have a shit ton of work to do. Yes, they do. Right. (laughs) Even if he apologized. They're going to be in counseling for a long time. You know what? Sometimes a happy ending is going to therapy. (laughs) (laughs) You you know what the most satisfying theatrical experience was the past couple of years for me? This is like, okay, so I did Elixir. And the first time I liked Elixir was Brandon's Elixir. People hated it. Like my, a lot of people thought it was like a little too, it was just. It was fun. And there was a swing. What more do you want? Leave me alone. Anyway, like one of my <laughs> one of my older students brought her two kids who are five and nine to it, who don't speak Italian. They're from the Ukraine. And later, the weeks later, they were the her their mother was telling me my my kid's school called me because they're playing elixir in the in the schoolyard, pretending to get drunk on apple juice and threatening to get the other people drunk and be like, if you drink this juice, you're gonna fall in love. And I was like, they're playing the opera and they didn't they didn't read the super titles they just went and experienced it and i was like i can die yeah <laughs> i can die there's kids playing elixir in the schoolyard now maybe they shouldn't be trying to get uh, play drunk but <laughs> i was raised i was like Davians. fine <laughs> if kids oh can enjoy gosh. it what's yeah what you know and, and oh the rules Singers so worry about other singers in the audience and their mm. peers uh. and like about the notes and the like, what is that? What is my friend who got a comp and is sitting in the family circle going to think of this performance mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and not a uh, child Rose sitting in the front row who's like getting their first experience right. in opera pumped about Titania. Or- across that stage that brandon who's sobbing for his life right right that right. i have to say i think of the episode so far that is the tea that's the tea stop like, worrying about your fellow singers and start worrying about your audience because as a singer i can tell you i constantly fall into this trap and then like i always have to think about like well who am i worried about knowing whether i sang a wrong note or whether the phrasing had an extra breath in it or not and i'm like oh it's because i'm thinking about colleagues and conductors and like people in the know but like that's not who i'm making this art for and that's not who buys tickets mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, and like there is a space for doing theater for your friends it's called a salon mm-hmm. 
and they're wonderful. I used to host them all the time. I deeply enjoy them. They're incredibly important and it's how we make better art and challenge our form. But that's where it needs to live is in a really nice director's lesbian commune's living room. Like that's a great place for it. But if we can't like engage actual audience and we're only doing it for other singers and other musicians and charging prices that a person can't just go to the opera, then we're investing in the cycle. Right, mm -hmm. right, right. And then, you know, it's until we radically blow up that cycle, it's it's going to be somebody else doing it for another singer for another $150 ticket that no one can afford. Right, right. right. So I'm going to do the thing where I always take, could ask the harder question then of like, how do we, which you guys will be good at because you're educators, how do we take the the ideological conversation into the practical with singers who don't have the benefit of getting to work with you at Temple? Like, what are the tools they can put in their toolbox so that they can? That's exactly what I was going to Do the ask. thing. Tell us what we need to do. Tell us. Besides listening to this episode. We, really, this is for like ask, asking for a friend. <laughs> like, hello, friend. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Because there's a lot of things you can do, right? And these are things, like, I love it when a singer self-advocates. I need that. I want that. I encourage that in my room. But I, I fully well know that, like, there's lots of work to do as far as eliminating the toxic hierarchical system in our industry. It's getting better, mm -hmm. but it's not there. Mm -hmm. I also know that the singer producer is a thing where they just want to do that opera and they make it. City Lyric in New York, I'm working for them in August. We're doing, uh, oh, I never pronounce it right, Sondrion. That was oh. good enough. Ah, the Viridot. Oh, uh, nice. Well, you should do like singers and just mumble it, Sondrion. So they, so no one can point and say her diction's bad. <laughs> Which we all know my diction's bad. I'm not paid to get up there. I'm just paid to convince everyone else to do it. But we're doing that. And they, it was two singers that were sick of what they were seeing out there and they created their own work. Mm -hmm. And it's cool new work. And then like Third Eye Theater Ensemble, which is a company I'm a founding member of, but I didn't start that company. It was three singers who started it and then they called me and I kind of fell in love and couldn't leave. Like we're doing our September production and we're commissioning a new opera to go along with a other modern opera. We do only modern premieres and, and you know, that's happening in October, but like these are singer produced companies. So like, they're like, Hey, this is the work I want to see. And this is how I want to do this accessibility. So I'm doing it, but I don't like, there's a reason I don't produce because I fucking hate it. Like it's hard. It's hard, arduous work. And there are specialists who do this, mm -hmm. but that is a way to do it. And I think, you know, another way to do it is to ask those questions in rehearsals to be like, Oh, does this make sense for the audience? Or you, know, you can just keep asking those questions and you can be a good collaborator. Mm -hmm. I would love it if I could just tell singers to stop taking it from toxic producers and toxic directors. You know, the thing I always say to my singers, on first rehearsal is I need you to believe in what you're doing up there mm -hmm. and you need to tell me if you don't like it because in the end of the day you can just go do whatever you want to do up there and it's going to take me five minutes to figure out what you're doing and another five to kill the lights like it's going to take like you have the power singers have all the power we have just conned them into thinking they don't because then it's easier to get them to do whatever we decide we want them to do yeah. Who was the singer in the 1800s who they didn't want her to ride the horse at the end? She was a Valkyrie. She didn't, she was a Brunhilde and she, 
they didn't want her to ride the horse. Of course, the opening night happened and what she, you know, she grew up on a horse farm and her brother was the horse handler. So what'd she do? She got on the horse and rode off, right? Like singers can do whatever the hell singers want to do. Well, the- I love that. My non-answer for you no. is get on the horse, ride off into the sunset. I fucking love it. This is deep thoughts. First thing that I think a singer though, that can do, that's on my on my office door, it's stop apologizing. Mm-hmm. Apologize if you hurt someone or if you are mistaken. Or if I forget what my third one, but stop apologizing for being yourself and to being human. Yep. Like the amount of apologies that I see in a rehearsal room just eat away at a singer's self-worth. We all make mistakes. Stop apologizing. Yes, you cracked. Stop apologizing. Right. If if young if singers could stop apologizing for being a singer, I think the healthy mindset would start. I believe in meeting fear and acknowledging it and working through it. If, if singers could, could address their fears and work through it by acknowledging it and doing the work they need to get more secure in it, I think there'd be a healthier sense of self. And then the, 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 the bad part of our ego would start to abdicate and start to dissolve. But, and, and then I'd say, invest in your imagination, play. We forgot how to play. And if you're so self-conscious that you can't walk in a room and, and let your imaginative mind take over, then you're not present. You're just a, a singing bot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I don't know. It's invest in your intellectual and emotional like integrity and bring it into the room wherever you go. And I, I say this to um, when we're talking about branding and like finding out who we are as an artist be yourself and then do that on purpose Mm -hmm. Mm. if you know who you are and bring yourself into the room we are going to welcome you and we can't wait to collaborate but like the whole thing with gatekeeping and just yaps and which degree and which program it's just it's so big that i think the best thing is to invest in yourself mm-hmm. and to move yourself forward and to walk into every audition and be yourself on purpose yeah because honestly at the at the other side of the table we're sitting there we want you to be great like i've never been like oh can can this can this singer suck so i can like <laughs> Go so pee. I can hear five more. <laughs> right. So I can sit through their second choice. And then you start looking at their menu and you're like, okay, what's the shortest? What's the shortest? No, we never want that. We want you to walk in and I want to be like, oh my God, this is the person I never thought of for this role. Mm-hmm. And who I now I can't think of doing this opera without them. Yeah. Yeah. Auditions are about falling in love. Like we want to fall in love. No, but we have to foster abundant love. Where is the love? Right. Like, right. When I walk up to you and I'm like, oh my God, you are amazing. That scene deeply moved me. And you're like, oh, it was fine. The, the A was unsupported. And you're like, oh, why'd you crap on the love? Right. Like, right. Right? like stop perpetuating in scarcity. Like it, there is no scarcity. Right. There is, that is something we made up to justify capitalism and it's just not real. Mm-hmm. Like there is an abundance, like Brandon said, there is a love abundance and we do not need to perpetuate scarcity at all. 
for ourselves or each other. And it takes zero amount of effort to be kind. Right. I just want to keep you guys in my pocket. I'm I know. Can we? Can like you just really shitty? Just like <laughs> y'all should record. Y'all should make an app where you have like daily affirmations for singers, and like you can press <laughs> the rose button and the branded button, and like nuggets of wisdom come out of your phone. Oh, those are, but those aren't what I get quoted on. Like they always like I'm. I don't think of myself as affirmational and like. He's very, but it's so true because like a thing that I'm constantly working on, you know, and a a thought that I always like kind of give to myself when I'm in that audition, particularly audition situations and you're like so afraid to like show up as yourself. It's like, how am I ever going to convince anyone that I can get up and on stage and convincingly be another person if I can't walk into a room and authentically be myself first? Mm, I love that, Marcin. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. And if people don't want you and you are yourself do you really want to work with them no no you don't you don't I always say during my callbacks because I do a group callback where uh I make people viewpoint for me and they're like why am I in sweatpants at a callback for opera and I'm like get ready for Rose (laughs) you ready (laughs) they're like no but I always tell them like you're auditioning me as much as I'm auditioning you right we're dating like we're dating like, I don't like, do you want to spend the next three months with me learning this weird opera? Cause we're going to be doing some weird stuff in this room. So you should probably be down. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's okay. If you're not, I'll, I mean, I'll be sad. Cause I liked it. So I called you in the room, but like, I, I have a, I, I'm healthy. I can be told no. Yeah. I'm okay. Yeah. And mm. my insistence on emotional vulnerability is if for any of my students who might be listening, once they go down my Michael Chekhov time corridor and past their like different like stages of life and how they felt in those significant moments and then end up on a ball crying in a heap. And then I said, great, let's get let's get up and do it again. It's just I I I won't accept dishonesty. Mm-hmm. And if you could just come in and be honest and be yourself and laugh. And when you're in pain or having feelings, have those feelings, that whole notion of leave everything at the door. I get it. Don't bring your your personal drama into you, into the rehearsal room. But that's also asking you not to be a human. It's like, bring your human in the room and let's see what that brings to the art. Mm-hmm. Right. I have always wondered what would happen because, you know, we all hear forever, like, don't don't bring you know, leave it at the door when you come into a professional space. But I, I really wonder what would happen to any workspace, really, if people felt like they were allowed to come to work and say, like, hey, just before we start the day, I'm having a rough time. So I might not be as chatty as I normally am today. Can you put me on a task that doesn't put me in front of other people today or whatever? So I'm here to tell you, I know exactly what happens because, like, I've had an ensemble that's, you know, seven years old at this point. So, like, Everybody gets on board pretty fast. Like, oh, you can just say that you're having an icky day before hands to heart. And it is awesome until somebody is abusing the system. Mm -hmm. Radical Mm -hmm. vulnerability on that from my end. It is, there are definitely days where somebody is coming in for the fourth time having a breakdown because yesterday their dog ran away, but the dog is back and now their boyfriend broke up with them. And I'm like, I think I see why. <laughs> Where I'm like, I think this policy was a waste of my time. <laughs> like, I made a mistake. <laughs> I think that thought, right? And but I have to like think about the the good it does for everybody else in the room. And it's like, okay, like have your feelings, 
but now we're, you know, how we, we got to move forward to the work. If you can't work today, then you can't work right. today, but don't abuse it. Right. Which, you know, I feel really conflicted about because I do want a room where everybody's so ready to just be like, yeah, dog got hit by a car feeling awful. Because right. like, I don't want you working with that. No, it's, like, it's I don't hard. want you writing that. That's right. Up. Right. 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 Or it's really hard. Yeah. I mean, I, when you were describing it, Marcel, I was literally like, that's my classroom. Like yeah. where I walk in and some days I'm not okay. And instead of like putting on the good professor hat and being like, well, let's get down to brass tacks. I'm like, my day sucks. I'm in physical pain or at like. Brandon taught me how to do that because I was always like, everyone else can do that. But me, I'm mm-hmm. iron force. You know what? I'm a human too. And I don't have to be like Brandon taught me that. So thank you, Brandon. It's well, yeah, like you still have to work, but like to, to even like just that holding that modicum of space for one another of like, but yeah, my day is really sucking or I'm in pain or whatever. Well, well and what we do is incredibly vulnerable and like intimate with right. each other. Like we're literally screaming into each other. Like we're breathing on each other. Like that is <laughs> intimacy. And playing against the, the energy of our partners. And so like, we need to understand what's coming at us. Yeah. If you understand basic kinesthetic response, you know, like maybe it's, you know, I, so I acted, I, I am not an actor in any way. I do some storytelling for like Rose's cathartic growth, but I acted once as an adult in an ensemble piece about grief. And I was in the second week of runs and we had a policy during this show where before we did our little group, okay, we're all together thing. Everyone would just go around and anything weird that had happened that week, you just said it. So everyone knew something was fucked up happening or like anything great. Like you just kind of knew what was going on with your ensemble members if it hadn't come up yet. And my wife left me in between weekends of that run. Mm. And as I was walking in to perform, as I was getting in for pre-show, it like stopped me on the stairs because I was like, shit, I got to tell my ensemble that my wife left me. I can't keep that because this show is about grief. And like my character kills themselves at the end of the show. Like it's, I got to talk about this. Like they need to know what's coming at them. Cause like I'm literally swinging around a bottle. And I had to walk in that room and I did not want to do it. And I, you know, I, I, cause I, if you haven't noticed, I really struggle with emotional vulnerability. If it's coming from me, other people can be vulnerable, but not me. Uh, that's not true. I'm working on it. And I, that's totally there. true. Rose has like the, the thinnest wall ever. I just, I know, I'm so it. fragile. <laughs> <laughs> and I had to sit there though. And I had to, I had to tell them, Hey, my wife left me. I might be a little fucked up on this run. And it was the best gift I had ever given myself in my life. I don't think I would have survived that month of how sad I was if it wasn't for that ensemble and that vulnerability I was allowed to have as a cast member because they just held me and we did that show. Um, And I got to be, you know, I I had the weirdness. I was fucked up, but I... I got to be myself and it was life-changing and I highly recommend, you know, you don't have to throw down, but you can sure just be like, yeah, fucked up. And literally when you walk off stage, there's no, like your family's not like, nobody should be just okay when they finish playing a role. Like, yeah, the curtain calls great. They're too long. But like when you walk off stage and you just, I'm going back to Medea killed your babies. Are you just going to be like, La-di-da, let's go, let me go take a nap. You know, there's that cool emotional cool down, the vocal cool down, the everything you have to get back into place. 
And that's where the critics come in. And you have your friend in the dressing room and they're like, it was fine. You know, there's those voices. And like, I tell singers all the time, leave the theater, get out, go take, go make sure you have a life. I have a really yeah. great husband and I, we, we just bought our first house in, in our later life. And like, we don't, he's, he's a musical theater director. We don't talk and works at Temple. We don't talk about work at home. Like we just don't, we respect each other's work and we like each other's work, but we don't go home and like relive the drama of the day. And I think that's part of our culture as artists that needs to shift. Like let's stop abusing our friends as therapists and like reliving the drama of every moment just to keep conversation going. It's really not good. I say that because like the students sit outside my office and I hear it. I hear the self-abuse. I hear the keeping like the 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 egos that are like, oh, I did this and I suck and I suck and I suck and I suck and I suck. Can we stop rewriting that script and suck less? The the take a moment to like cut yourself back together when a when a when a role is over. I've that has never occurred to me. And I, I perform Frauenlebuten Leben a lot. And I am always an emotional mess. But you have to like go right out and shake hands or whatever. And I'm like, I need to like give myself like put a timer on for five minutes. People can wait. Yep, they yep, can wait. They can. And get and yourself I a ritual. Some kind of yep. I recommend a ritual. I, anytime I'm doing a role where it's like, oh man, you're gonna have a hard time. Like I recommend at the beginning of the before you start the show, how you're gonna get into that process. Hmm. Have a ritual or a totem of some kind that you like set away. And then you put that item back on, you rub it. It has to be a physicalization of something. And that physicalization cannot be the bend of your elbow of a cocktail going to your mouth. Um, because that seems like a good idea and it's not. It needs to be, I know, I love that. I love that ritual too, but maybe a rock in your pocket. <laughs> but you do that can need be some the kind second of physicalization. Part. That can be the second one, right? It can and be I the second because there's a lot of performers that have kind of have drinking problems, right? There's a heavy culture of drinking. And I think it's because we're trying to cool down because we mm -hmm. don't have proper cool down methods. Mm. Yeah. I know after a rehearsal, if it's a good rehearsal or a bad rehearsal, the first thing I want to do is have a bourbon on my back deck and stare at a wall and like keep solving the problem. I need something else to get me out of it. Mm -hmm. because yeah. I'd like to keep living and I'd like to have a good, healthy life. It was easy when I was young and I'd be like, great. I, I, I moonlit as a go-go dancer and I'd be like, great, got to go to work. Got to go dance at a bar. And it's like, that'll do like, it. Dance out the like extra energy. But like right. when the curtain comes down, <laughs> it's the funniest thing watching singers behind the curtain where it's like, and close. And they're like, oh, what do we do? oh and they start half-heartingly hugging because it's like they have all of this energy and feelings and have no outlet yeah mm. and you're right. most emotionally raw at that moment mm -hmm. that's where the most like harm can be done and the most like because you're most that's when you're most open cool downs emotional cool downs or we also do exercises and stepping in and out of it like mm -hmm. can you step out of it and leave it there for you to pick up later 
that's how you don't bring your characters up backstage. Mm-hmm. I have right. one performer right. who I love working with. She wipes off her makeup. She reapplies her makeup every time. Oh, that she resets. She resets her face. Mm-hmm. That's really smart. Yep. She just and looks at it like okay. Yeah. When she shared that one, I was like, "Yes, Queen." She's like, "So, can I have my lipstick?" Because <laughs> it was that's bag, super was powerful. <laughs> yep. Oh. Yeah. so yes, much wisdom oh my god you guys so much wisdom yeah. here yeah but we could talk for days yeah. and our podcast listeners are gonna be like i have to go eat dinner oh. <laughs> no <laughs> well rose and i are finishing up our chapters rose was here as my student ta for three years and now we're done so it's like we're like holding on because once there's once we're out in the real world, there's only one director in the room. They don't allow us yeah. to play with each other. Yeah, we're right. just tigers. Unless you're doing like director's lab or you're doing a fellowship. But yeah, you don't get... It's been really nice having another director around. Mm-hmm. I, I crave that. You know, when, when you when you go into directing... I, I studied directing in my undergrad. Uh, Columbia College is open admissions, but the directing program used to be conservatory. I don't know if it is anymore. And when you're in that program, something they told me that was really hard to swallow was directing is lonely. Mm-hmm. It is the loneliest theatrical profession you can have. There is only ever you. And I didn't want to believe it, but it's true. Directing is, I think, the only thing lonelier might be writing. Mm. Uh, yeah and mm-hmm. i still go to my mentor if there's a bad dress i'm like can you doug can you come watch can you come tell me my work isn't shit <laughs> please tell me what is shit so i can fix it while we're still in rehearsal and right. like now that rose is going out i'm like i'll, I'll assist you whenever <laughs> <laughs> look brandon you should be in charge of this oh yeah okay <laughs> Hold it. I'm going to go take a nap. Because <laughs> there's no one that ever really reaffirms a director. No. Like, it, the singers, wrong, we love them. They take. Yeah. It's like, mm. me, 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 me. Okay. I'm going to take that note and put that in my, in my, in my box to think about. That's but it. if you're if ever you with a director and you're like, how are you doing? They're going to be like, yeah, oh, we'll no. like run away. This is fake. <laughs> this is a trap. <laughs> This is a, this is a yeah. singer trap. Please don't do that to it's us. Don't trap. ask us how we're doing. Exactly. Don't ask us how we're doing. We don't want to tell you. Fine. Oh, yeah. man. Fine. What does my brother always say? Fine stands for fucked up, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. <laughs> fine. We're fine. Fine. <laughs> smoking in an alleyway. Smoking in, smoking in the alleyway. Oh, That's intermission. Um, I'm going to use that all the time now. <laughs> Pretty great. Oh my God. He's a chef, so he's always got oh good singers. Oh yeah, that's good. <laughs> oh my gosh, I could sit here all day. Y'all are wonderful. Thank you all so much. All are wonderful. Thank you for yeah. doing this. Yeah, Thanks for making the thank- work. Oh my gosh, we love it. We love talking to everybody, and thank you so much, guys, for coming on and and just talking with us today. And I will apologize. This is the one episode I will not listen to. <laughs> I'm gonna well, that is fair. I will share it on all you, there you all go. platforms. But, mm. If you're subscribed, it'll still download and it, that'll be great for us. <laughs> yeah. We'll still get your download. I'm a canary. I'm gonna be listening to it. It's like hear my voice. I love my own voice. I'm like a singer that way. I was like, I'll do anything but hear myself. 
That's it for today. This podcast was created for all the opera singers out there getting shit done. So keep on keeping on, people. If you enjoy our podcast, please rate and review it to help spread the word. You can also support the podcast through Patreon, where you can get early access to episodes, merchandise discounts, workshops and resources, and ad-free episodes. And you did hear that right, people. We now have merch. Find out more about all of this at mysocalledoperalife.com. Still can't get enough of us and want to add your voice to the conversation? Join us for our weekly coffee chats every Wednesday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern on Instagram Live at MSCOL Podcast. This podcast is produced and hosted by Elise Mark and Marcel McGurk and edited by Joshua Wise. Questions or comments? Email us at info at mysocalledoperalife.com. This season is sponsored by The Empowered Musician. The Empowered Musician, founded by Dr. Dana Lynn Varga, helps musicians to forge their own path with pride. Dana is a fierce advocate for singers and a leader in moving the classical vocal industry forward. Through the EM website, you can read Dana's articles, schedule one-on-one career coachings, book Dana for a speaking engagement, or sign up for her upcoming affordable six-class series called Everything You Need to Know About Entrepreneurship for Singers, which starts on April 10th. The Empowered Musician also has incredible artists on staff, offering voice lessons, musicianship lessons, and both dramatic coachings and repertoire diversification sessions for singers. Voice lessons are available for a wide range of ages, levels, and genres, and their highly sought-after teachers are accessible from anywhere in the world through virtual lessons as well as eventually in-person in multiple cities. Keep an eye out for additional professional development courses such as acting for singers, body mapping for musicians, intro to jazz singing, and more. Be sure to check out www.theempoweredmusician.com.